must constantly look at things in a different way. The Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast was created by two physical therapists out of the desire to learn more about the different educational roles in physical therapy and healthcare and how healthcare education works by talking with educational leaders and people with different perspectives within physical therapy and across interdisciplinary lines on how education can be improved to disrupt the status quo of healthcare education. This is our journey, and thanks for listening. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. I'm your host, F. Scott Field, and as always, I'm joined by my multi-talented co-host, Brandon Pone. And speaking of multi-talents, we have a woman on the show tonight who has not only done so much for the world of physical therapy, but for the world of education and beyond. We are so excited tonight to have Dr. Don Magnuson on the show tonight. Don Magnuson is an assistant professor in the physical therapy program at the University of Colorado and Schutz Medical Campus. She received her PhD in population health sciences with a minor in anthropology, a certificate in global health, and an MS in physical therapy from the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and completed a postdoctoral fellowship in general academic pediatrics with a focus on health disparities research through the Department of Pediatrics at the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. Her research broadly explores the mechanisms underlying health disparities in vulnerable populations and seeks to inform the development of innovative community-based models of care that advance health equity for traditionally underserved populations of children with developmental delay or disability. With regard to entry-level DPT education, Dr. Magnuson is responsible for teaching CU's health and wellness content and provides population health content throughout the curriculum. In recognition of her research and dedication in the area of health equity, Dr. Magnuson received the 2013 Wisconsin Without Borders Award from the University of Wisconsin-Madison and the 2015 Dissertation Award from the Academy of Pediatric Physical Therapy, as well as the 2016 Social Responsibility Research Award from the HPA, the Catalyst Section of the APTA. She was also named 2016 semifinalist for the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation's Culture of Health Leaders Program. Dawn, thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. Uh, There's so many items in your bio that have us excited about this interview. And realizing that we kept your bio relatively brief, is there anything else we left out of your bio that you'd like the audience to know about you? Well, first, I just want to thank you for having me on this podcast. I'm so excited to talk with you kind of about these topics. And, um, you know, given the topic today, I should also mention, I think that um, it's worth mentioning that I'm a member of the Academy of Prevention and Health Promoting Therapies. Um, I'm also a member of the newly formed APTA Council on Prevention, Health Promotion, and Wellness. And I'm also pretty heavily involved uh, with HPA, the Catalyst Section, um, where many things global health and health equity related are happening, which is really exciting, uh, as well as the Academy of Pediatric Physical Therapy. So, um, but again, I'm just so excited to join you all for this conversation tonight. Man, and we are so excited to have you on, especially with hearing from, you know, your bio and kind of what you've been doing. Definitely seems like you've had quite the academic journey. And and Dawn, do you think you would mind talking our audience through kind of your academic journey and how it led to where you're at today doing what you're doing? 
Sure, I'd be happy to. You know, it's a question I get um, quite a lot because there aren't too many therapists that are doing kind of population health, health disparities research. And it's a journey that um, is quite circuitous. <laughs> so hopefully I don't lose anybody along the way. But um, when I graduated physical therapy school, I started working right away in pediatric physical therapy. And, you know, I absolutely loved my job. I got to play with kids all day and work with their families. And I really couldn't imagine doing anything else. Um, and I don't know, it was maybe seven or eight years into working as a pediatric PT. Uh, I happened upon like one of those 2020 kind of news shows or Dateline programs. And there was um, an episode that was highlighting uh, an orphanage in Romania. And they kind of um, highlighted the stories of a few children that were in that orphanage. And one of the children that I saw just, gosh, was a dead ringer, a doppelganger for one of the little boys that I was working with. And, you know, the conditions in this orphanage were such that this little boy spent most of his day um, in his crib, uh, kind of tied to the bed, just because the, the orphanage was so understaffed. And this was the first time, kind of my first exposure to this notion of, you know, where you live, kind of your zip code and where you're born just so tremendously influences your health. And that's when I first started getting introduced to concepts of health disparities um, and health equity. And, um, you know, as I, you know, started going back to work, um, I was a therapist in Wisconsin. I started even in my own backyard in, you know, kind of rural Wisconsin, starting to observe more disparities in terms of children's access to quality therapy services. And, you know, I became kind of increasingly frustrated um, with the disparities I was observing in my own practice and feeling like there was really just not very much I could do. And so I guess when you don't know how to do something, you go out and learn about it, right? And so it turns out that um, the University of Wisconsin had a global health certificate program um, where they you know, really focus on health disparities, global health, um, and kind of the ethics around global health. And so I started that program and started learning, again, a lot more about global health ethics, health equity. Um, but again, this frustration just kind of kept gnawing at me and gnawing at me. And it turns out that a lot of the courses I was taking for this global health certificate program were in this population health department um, population health sciences at the University of Wisconsin. And at the time, I didn't know what that meant. Um, but as I learned more about the program, I realized that it was exactly the kind of training I felt I needed to really better understand and address the disparities I was witnessing uh, as a clinician. And so I really made the difficult um, choice, I guess, to go back to school full time. And again, I loved my job as a clinician, but I just felt like I had to do uh, something more. And so um, went back to school, PhD program in population health sciences. And that program really centers around kind of three main pillars, which are biostatistics, uh, health services research, and epidemiology. And so uh, my dissertation um, for that, I explored the individual community and kind of state level factors associated with unmet therapy need um, among young children with developmental delay. And following graduation, um, you know, kind of to better understand some of the disparities that I observed through my doctoral work, um, I pursued additional postdoctoral training uh, in health disparities research um, at Johns Hopkins. And, uh, you know, kind of wrapping up my... <laughs> 
long journey here, if you're still with me. Um, all of this now has led to a faculty position at the University of Colorado um, Physical Therapy Program and Rehabilitation Sciences Program, where 75% of my uh, time is spent doing research, um, mostly health disparities research, and about 25% of my time is spent teaching. So hopefully you didn't get too lost <laughs> along the way, but but that's how we find myself, you know, kind of where we are today. Yeah, no, that's that's an incredible journey. Uh, so Don, one of the things that most excited us about this interview is your background in population health sciences, which obviously qualifies you to do some great things within the Academy of Prevention and Health Promotion Therapies, uh, or the APHPT, uh, headed by Mike Eisenhart, who was actually a guest on the show around episode 17 or so. So for our audience, if you haven't heard that episode yet, you definitely um, need to go back and listen to it if you're looking to get really excited and motivated about um, just health and wellness in general and trying to turn the uh, population away from disease and treatment and toward health and wellness and prevention. Um, so definitely go and listen to that episode if you haven't already. But Dawn, could you start by really defining for our audience what population health is? Sure. Um, you know, I think it is a concept or a term that um, does get a little confused, kind of misrepresented in our conversations and some of the work we're doing. So I think it is really important to kind of, um, you know, define that more clearly. And so population health uh, has been defined by uh, David Kindig, who, by the way, was at the University of Wisconsin when I was there and really one of the pioneers um, in the field of population health sciences in the United States. And he defines population health as health outcomes. Uh, of a group of individuals, including the distribution of those outcomes within the group. Um, and so, you know, such traditional definitions of population health are often reserved for more geographic populations. So our neighborhoods, um, cities, states, things like that. Um, but two related terms that I think we often hear, but we often confuse with kind of standard population health um, are population health management and population medicine. And these terms typically refer to kind of the application of population health principles uh, to define clinical populations um, or a very narrow set of health outcomes or health determinants. And, you know, another way of thinking about population health um, is that it's a strategy for really understanding the health of populations. I mean, it seems kind of simple, but that's where it comes down to. Um, and it's an approach that focuses on really interrelated conditions and factors that influence uh, health over time. Um, it can be used to identify more systematic kind of variations in the patterns of um, disease and various risk factors. And, you know, can also be used to, you know, apply the resulting knowledge to really develop and implement policies and action um, that improve health and also reduce health disparities. And I don't know if it's helpful to kind of, you know, we think about population health, sometimes it's helpful to contrast it with a more individual approach to care. And, you know, when we think of classic and, you know, kind of our, our bread and butter as therapists, this individual approach to care, you know, we tend to identify individuals at high risk for disease or disability through, you know, screening or examination processes. And the goals really are to reduce um, or minimize long-term disability. And so we can also think of this as tertiary prevention, which... Um, 
yeah, we can go into in a little bit. But anyway, um, in contrast, though, a population-based approach, again, considers the distribution of those conditions or related factors within the group or within the population and really seeks to employ more primary prevention and health promotion strategies uh, to reduce risk and disease incidence within the population. And I think a really key advantage of population-based approaches is that you can have a really powerful and significant effect on the health of your community or a given population with a relatively small change in overall population risk. So hopefully that helps to clear up some of the confusion um, around population health and kind of what that term really means. Yeah, no, it certainly does, Dawn. And I really appreciate that because I think that's something that's really important to get out there initially to really set the tone for kind of what it really is. And, you know, I know in your bio, it, it, you know, it said that you're teaching kind of population health and such. And of course, it kind of makes sense that exposing DPT students and healthcare students for that matter to this topic and these concepts and how we can kind of look at it from this different way is really critical to address kind of when they're in their younger, more developing minds in development in school. And, and I'm kind of curious I'm just kind of really interested in how you kind of teach population health um, at the program you where you're at. Sure. So, so the first year that I was here, um, I guess I'm coming up on my third summer here, but my first summer um, in the health and wellness course, I spent some time talking about different population health models and how those apply to kind of physical therapist practice and education and research. Um, also spent a lot of time focusing on more the social determinants of health and really thinking about how, how these multiple determinants, you know, not just the care we receive in a clinic or a hospital, but how these, you know, additional factors really influence health and, and kind of the relevance of that in our own practice. And so a lot of the focus is kind of, you know, thinking about clinical populations that we we tend to see, kind of things that we know as physical therapists, and just kind of adding this extra layer of, well, gosh, you know, let's think about this individual, not just in terms of, you know, where they live. I think as therapists, we're good at, you know, thinking about the individual and their immediate, you know, kind of social circumstances and physical circumstances in terms of, you know, safety within their home and things like that. But let's kind of step outside of, you know, their home, start looking at their extended family and social networks, uh, as well as their physical environment, kind of what that looks like. And then even taking, you know, a couple steps further from there and really thinking about how health policies uh, and things like that influence health. So again, starting, you know, where with what we know as therapists, and that's that direct, you know, interaction with the client, but really just building out our steps from there using um, kind of socioecological models. And again, you know, these population health frameworks to help us see and visualize how all these different pieces maybe fit together. Awesome. No, I love it. I think that's a really good approach to kind of incorporate in there. And and Don, next we'd kind of like to peel back the layers of wellness and disease prevention. And what do these terms mean specifically? And how can healthcare practitioners get involved with this? Yeah, I think that's such a great question. And I think, you know, finally, as a profession, we're getting to the point where we're starting to really focus more on prevention and health promotion. Um, and I think we have so much to offer in this area. So again, I think it's important to kind of understand again, what these terms mean, and clearly defining them just so we can, you know, engage with other colleagues, other health professions in these conversations. Um, and so I guess I'll start with um, maybe disease prevention. And when I think of prevention, um, we usually think of 
kind of three basic categories of prevention. They're primary, secondary, and tertiary prevention. And tertiary prevention kind of falls right in our wheelhouse, right? So this refers to, you know, kind of the actions we take that are aimed at um, groups of individuals who are already diagnosed with a disease, um, who are symptomatic. And really the goal of tertiary prevention is to kind of reduce those long-term sequela and, you know, kind of minimize disability. Um, so that's tertiary prevention. Um, secondary prevention, kind of, you know, if we take a step back more upstream, if you will, um, from that condition, secondary prevention really refers to kind of the actions we can take that are aimed at, um, again, groups or populations with a diagnosed condition, but these individuals are now asymptomatic. And so the goal of secondary prevention is to work with these um, groups, these individuals, to minimize the development of, you know, secondary complications um, and sim symptoms that might be um, associated with that condition. So again, that's secondary prevention. Um, finally, primary prevention is really moving, you know, pretty far upstream of, you know, now some diagnosed condition. And what we're doing with primary prevention is really, you know, kind of focusing our efforts at groups or populations that might be susceptible to disease or disability, but who have not yet developed the condition. And so the goal with primary prevention kind of as the name suggests, is to reduce um, risk factors for a given disease or a given condition and also um, reduce disease incidence. So that's all kind of in the realm of prevention. Um, but as you know, and as you mentioned, we also hear the term health promotion quite a lot. And it means something just really ever so slightly different than disease prevention. And um, back in, gosh, the late 80s, maybe 86 or so, um, the World Health Organization uh, came out and defined health promotion as the process of empowering people to increase control over and improve their health. So that right there is kind of a key difference. You know, really health promotion is empowering people, again, to increase control over and improve their health. So a little bit different from prevention where that's kind of more in the healthcare setting where clinicians are kind of more involved in that. Um, you know, so they sound kind of similar, but again, the key difference is that prevention tends to be concentrated in the health sector or in the healthcare system. Um, and, you know, address healthy be health behaviors such as healthy eating, physical activity, tobacco cessation, and things like that. Um, in contrast, health promotion tends to involve more kind of multi-sector collaborations. So now we're looking outside the healthcare sector, um, particularly around the social determinants of health. And so, you know, getting back to, I think you asked about, you know, how we can get involved in these different activities. Um, you know, as clinicians, we have such a tremendous opportunity to engage both in disease prevention and health promotion, um, just given our placement in, in, you know, in their communities, in the clinic, things like that. And um, I hope, you know, my hope is that your listeners don't view these things as kind of mutually exclusive. They're really quite complementary ideas. And so one way to think about it um, is, you know, as I alluded to earlier, is by starting with a single patient or a group of patients. Um, you know, as I mentioned, our profession is really deeply rooted in tertiary prevention. But in thinking about our clients, we can, again, think about moving a few steps out of our comfort zone <laughs> to think about ways we might now engage our clients and community members um, with diagnosed conditions that will help minimize the progression of their disease. And examples of this, um, you know, 
one example that comes to mind is, you know, group exercise or nutrition classes for individuals with um, maybe recently diagnosed diabetes or something like that. Um, and again, if we, as I mentioned earlier, take a few more steps outside of our comfort zone um, to think about ways we might engage clients and community members, um, especially those that are really at high risk for developing a condition, um, you know, we can start thinking about ways to reduce their risk factors and disease incidents. And here's where we kind of find ourselves maybe crossing over between primary prevention and health promotion. But it's really about us becoming more involved in um, kind of ameliorating those social determinants of health, the physical environment, the social environment, uh, to really optimize, you know, these environments and start creating cultures of health for people. So, no, that was kind of a long-winded answer, but there's a lot packed into, you know, when we consider prevention and health promotion. So hopefully that, that makes sense. Yeah, Don, you really did a great job defining for us, you know, what disease prevention really looks like. Um, but can you tell us a little bit about injury prevention? Because I feel like that's a subject that most physical therapists have a pretty good grasp on and may not even be maximizing the potential of yet. Because I, I work in workman's comp Monday through Friday, and, it, you know, I just know a lot of these companies could benefit from some education on injury prevention. And physical therapists, I, I think, are the perfect people to do that. Yeah, no, and I couldn't agree more. And I think you, you know, you hit the nail on the head in that when we think of um, prevention, you know, I think that concept, especially injury prevention, really resonates with a lot of, you know, physical therapists, per, you know, and I think perhaps more so than some of the other prevention areas um, that I mentioned earlier. Um, but really, the ultimate goal is the same, right? So we want to, whether it's in the workplace, and, you know, as you talked about, we want to go in and decrease risk, um, promote optimal health and reduce, you know, disease or injury incidents, um, and finally minimize disability. And so in terms of injury prevention, um, yeah, I'm with you. I think my mind immediately goes to kind of fall prevention among the elderly, but also workplace safety. And I think these are two areas in which, you know, physical therapists have really excelled over the years. But, you know, we can also, there's room for improvement in terms of, you know, utilizing some of these um, population health principles, um, primary and secondary prevention kind of approaches, um, you know, just to kind of help you know, eliminate or reduce um, the risk uh, uh, and incidence of these um, conditions and injuries. Um, but, you know, thinking outside of, you know, I always want to go a little bit beyond kind of our traditional, um, you know, places in terms of uh, workplace safety and fall prevention and thinking about, you know, other types of injury prevention. And I can't help but think about, you know, transportation safety um, and just viewing, kind of our profession as, as really being able to lend our expertise when it comes to advocating for safe and accessible sidewalks or even designated bike lanes. And so, you know, thinking about injury maybe in different ways that we haven't traditionally thought about injury before. Um, you know, we know that, you know, violence plagues many of our clients and our community members. Um, and so how can we work to strengthen programs and policies to really help provide individuals, uh, their families and their communities with resources and tools they need to create, you know, safe and violence-free environments. Um, and so these are two areas where I feel we could really up our game. But I agree with you that, you know, regardless of the setting or maybe, you know, the, the condition or the situation, we can certainly apply all of these principles um, to really better, you know, support our, our individual clients, but also our communities. 
Yeah, no, Don, I think that is an absolutely great take. And I think that you bring up a lot of interesting points in there. And frankly, some of the aspects that you mentioned there, I perhaps had not really even thought of, especially with some of those newer ways to kind of get involved. So I think those are really a good idea and important. And, you know, and this seems overall like relatively new ground that we are Approaching here in the healthcare fields. And, you know, and where are you seeing wellness prevention being used mainly, especially in regards to population health that's working? And, and how do you see that that changing in the near future? Sure. I think um, kind of where I see it playing out now is just kind of individual therapists, maybe groups of therapists scattered around the country who are just really dedicated um, to improving population health and, you know, realizing that you know, what it's going to take to actually improve population health and kind of hold to our vision, right, of transforming society is is moving upstream, moving into secondary and primary prevention. And so you see this in pockets kind of throughout the country, but we're starting to come together, um, you know, with the uh, APHPT, as well as the, the newly formed council. And, you know, we're finally coming together as a collective to say, hey, profession, <laughs> this is really important and we need to be doing this. Um, I think another place where it's it's really going to impact our profession and maybe get more folks involved that haven't before is you know in the transition from fee to service to value based payment systems that you know really prioritize population health, um, patient satisfaction, and cost of care. So kind of bringing in the triple aim uh, of healthcare and you know prevention and health promotion activities, um, as well as physical therapist services in general, represent low cost but really high value options that can have significant effects on population health. And so, you know, we can apply, again, these population health principles um, to monitor health outcomes and related risk factors. Um, You know, perhaps this is with our clinical populations or a broader geographic population. Um, But then we can apply this information to the development and implementation of you know, more effective interventions, um, but also show our value, especially in this era when, <laughs> you know, times are changing and, and, and we need to kind of get caught up, especially with some of these, um, uh, you know, value-based payment systems. So that's kind of where I see things going. Yeah, Don, that's a perfect lead into my next question. You mentioned the triple aim um, aspect and, you know, what, what would a possible business model surrounding wellness and prevention look like for, for those clinicians who might be wanting to do it on their own or looking for a pocket of clinicians looking to do this? Yeah, no, I, I laugh because this is not necessarily my wheelhouse, but, you know, certainly talking with Mike and listening to his podcast. And, uh, you know, I think he's a, a great person and, and some other folks to talk to when it comes um, you know, to thinking about more innovative business models. And, you know, there there are folks, like you said, that are kind of looking to really take advantage of this opportunity. And, you know, we view it as an opportunity. I know sometimes change is hard, but, you know, our profession has such a great opportunity to really take advantage of the direction our healthcare system is going and kind of um, create a real niche for ourselves. Um so I don't want to speak about specific business models, but again, I think I should take this opportunity to really emphasize the transition from fee-for-service to value-based payment systems. And I know some of the listeners might be thinking, well, you know, that only pertains to Medicare reimbursement right now. Um, and I've heard people say, you know, physical therapists aren't even required to participate in these quality payment programs, at least for another year or so. So I'm not going to worry about it right now. But, you know, I want to be really clear that 
While these changes were initiated with Medicare, other payers are following really closely behind. And, um, you know, moreover, the Department of Health and Human Services is intending to focus its energies on health reform kind of in those key areas. So really focusing on um, tying payments to value, um, enhancing coordination of care across service settings and, you know, patient satisfaction and, you know, getting to the point where they're going to be requiring providers to attend to population health. And so the bottom line is, you know, whether it's the employer um, or a payer, they're really looking for more cost-effective solutions that enhance population health, um, patient satisfaction, and the health of their workforce. Um, and we certainly have the skills and knowledge to be a key part of this solution, but you know, we need to act. And I think the, the physical therapy outcomes registry is a really important step in the right direction. Um, for anyone going to CSM uh, in a few weeks, there will be a few sessions on the new um, you know, outcomes registry. Um, and this will allow us to kind of monitor our clinical populations, develop more cost-effective interventions, and again, really demonstrate our value. But, you know, we have, we have so much work to do, I feel like. And I'd like to be able to say that we're in a place where we can be somewhat proactive with regard to population health, um, disease prevention, and health promotion. But I feel like we're starting to lag behind other health disciplines, um, you know, including folks like medicine and nursing. And I don't want to kind of sound alarmist here, but we really need to get moving in the right direction. And, and we're, 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 you know, taking baby steps <laughs> in the right direction, but we kind of need to start running, I feel like. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, Don, I think that was a great take. And, you know, I'm going to ask a question that I kind of thought of off the script here, basically based on what you just said there in terms of how other healthcare professions are really starting to integrate this more. I'm kind of curious, just for our audience, if you could give us some kind of some brief examples of some different models and different things that perhaps other healthcare professions are doing that we should maybe just be aware of? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So again, my background is is kind of in pediatrics, so I can speak a little more to um, you know that population and that clinical setting. But um, so take for example pediatric primary care. You know, children go in, uh, have their well child visits, where um, you know a lot of preventive services are happening. And I know in physical therapy and physical therapist practice, you know, we kind of hope to transition into more of a primary care provider role, I think. And that's, I think that's a great aspiration. Um, but again, we need to start bringing in some of these um, population health principles. And so one example um, to kind of get to your question in pediatric primary care is that there are uh, clinics, um, hospitals popping up around the country that are really kind of embracing and being really proactive in terms of um, collaborating across sectors to address some of the social determinants of health and some of the uh, disparities that are related to those social determinants. And so uh, there are a few clinics. Um, when I was at Hopkins, our primary care clinic at the Harriet Lane Clinic um, implemented a few different programs really to help um, identify families who perhaps needed additional you know, services, whether the families needed legal services, um, perhaps a mom or dad uh, you know, could benefit from uh, some employment services. Um, they address things like food insecurity, housing, all these different issues that families um, experience you know, day in and day out. Um, all of those services 
um, at least kind of talking with the families, trying to understand their circumstances, were coordinated right there in the clinic. And so the families didn't have to go to another agency or another clinic or another office. All of that was coordinated right within the primary care clinic. And so that's just one example of where I see, at least in the primary care setting, um, where you have now the health care system, this primary care system that is really working to collaborate outside the health sector uh, to bring these additional services and supports um, to children and their families. So that's just one example um, that I can think of off the top of my head that we could kind of look toward in terms of building those multi-sectoral uh, collaborations. Yeah, no, I love that, Dawn. And I think that's a really good example. And I think that's a really good idea. And, you know, and Dawn, now to kind of take a different turn here, kind of going away from our discussion here, just to kind of get more into kind of a development question. Because um, as, as you know, all we all know, development is so critical for anyone, for that matter, for just development in general of our careers and our skills. So Dawn, I'm curious, what are some books that you've read recently or find yourself continually recommending that have really made an impact on you? That's such a great question. Um, and that was it's kind of a tough one. I think, you know, there I, I have a lot of um books that talk about kind of health equity, um, power imbalances, social determinants of health and things like that. So probably too many to list. And so um, but what I'm reading right now that I guess has, you know, kind of connections with this podcast um, that's really opened my eyes to kind of learning and the role of educators uh, is make it stick. Um and what's the tagline, like the science of successful learning. And this was recommended to me maybe a month or two ago. Um, but it's really opened my eyes to kind of, you know, how people learn most effectively. And, and it's not so much strategies that you can take away as an educator, but I think just appreciating how people learn effectively. Um, you know, I've had so many aha moments <laughs> reading this book, and I'm only about a third of the way through. But I think that's one book that, you know, again, just has really opened my eyes to um, how people learn, again, how people learn effectively, and how I can maybe alter the way that I, you know, teach my courses or, um, you know, do presentations and things like that. So I'm hoping, <laughs> fingers crossed, after I get through this book, that, um, you know, I don't want to say revolutionize, that's maybe too strong, but really kind of um, transform the way that I'm, I'm teaching some of these topics to really, again, as the title suggests, make it stick and make it really resonate, um, whether it's, again, students in the classroom or, you know, folks at conferences, things like that. I love that uh, recommendation, Dawn. That sounds like one I've got to put on my list immediately. Um, well, we like to ask all of our guests this final question. Um, if you could change one aspect of education, DPT or other healthcare related, what aspect would you change and how would you change it? I would say, you know, given given the focus of the conversation today around um, prevention, health promotion, population health, um, and just also given the changes taking place in our healthcare system, I think, you know, again, with the shift toward value-based purchasing, which really prioritizes population health uh, and cost, I think it's really critical um, that we build upon our use of the ICF, uh, the International Classification of Functioning, Disability, and Health, um, as our guiding framework to really include some of these population health models and frameworks, uh, these concepts of prevention, um, health promotion, and 
you'll hear me talk about this for anyone who's, who's talked with me in the past, you know, health really begins where we live, learn, work, and play. Um, and it happens long before an individual enters our clinic doors. And that's assuming they can even get through our doors in the first place, right, in terms of um, access and things like that. But, you know, it's really time that we embrace this fact, um, especially as we advocate, as I alluded to earlier, um, about becoming primary care providers. And I just don't know how we're going to get there uh, unless we start embracing some of these concepts uh, and principles as a profession. So I guess, I guess that would be my one, my one ask. <laughs> no, I love it. And I love how with every episode, Don, we always get some new answer or some different perspective that really just kind of puts a light bulb in our heads or just puts another idea out there that really just really makes it stick out there. Literally, no pun intended on that one. But I think that's going to be a really good overall recommendation. And I think that's a great take. And so Don, thank you so much for your time and for all you've done for the field of PT and the APHPT. You know, where can our audience find you online and on social media? Should they have any questions or just want to reach out to chat? Oh, sure. Um, pretty simple. I am on Twitter. Um, my handle is easy. It's just my name at Dawn Magnuson. Uh, and my email is dawn.magnuson at ucdenver.edu. So I'd be happy if people have questions or just want to chat. I love talking about this stuff. <laughs> so I'm happy to continue the conversation. No, we love it. And you do a very good job with it. And we thank you so much for your time for coming on with this because this was really an enlightening discussion. And I think this is going to help a lot of folks, especially to put some clarification out there on some of these terms and a lot of this, these principles to help further generate this idea forward. You know, And Don, thank you again for everything. Keep pushing at it. Keep getting that, doing that great work out there. And you know, it's always a pleasure. Great. Well, thank you both so much. Um, yeah, this is great. And I had a lot of fun. So again, looking forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you for attending class today. And we hope that you learned something and gained value from the content. If you'd like to schedule office hours with us, feel free to add us on Twitter at HET Podcast, on Instagram, HET Podcast, on Facebook, the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast, and the homepage, healthcareeducationtransformationpodcast.com. And for those of you following along in the syllabus, extra credit can be obtained by liking us, sharing us, and leaving a review. Let's continue our journey up Mount Educational Success as lifelong learners.